Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Here we're wrapping up another week. We hope it'll be a good one for you. Heading into the weekend, baseball's back. Well, kind of. I have to admit, I have mixed feelings. I I thought I would be more excited about its return. I'm a big sports fan, and uh, I'll be watching tonight when my Cardinals uh, start their season. But I don't know. I think I got through not having baseball better than I thought I would, and now, I don't know, it just doesn't seem the same. 60 games instead of 162, and no fans in the stands. It's just, I don't know, it doesn't feel quite quite right to me, but but I'll be watching it, and I'm, I'm glad it's back, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just old and set in my ways. I just, I don't like some of the changes they're making for baseball, but I realize they've got to do it to try to, to get it to get it back at all so like I say I'll be watching and but I I guess I just didn't miss it as much as I thought I would even though I did miss it some and uh, now if there's no football in the fall now that would be a, a different different story I'd miss that a lot so hopefully that'll get worked out but we'll see as uh, baseball returns maybe a maybe another step at least that's the positive a little step towards uh normal or awaits some things used to be even though it's not quite the same for sure well coming up on our program today we're going to talk with a member of the united soybean board a soybean farmer from iowa about the new uh, venture to help get more information out about some of the research going on to help soybean growers we're going to talk with arlen suderman with uh, stone x and we're going to talk with arlen about uh, the markets and what's going on with china china making purchases while the rhetoric and the relationship between the u.s and china seems to be uh, taking a negative turn but uh, they're still buying so we'll talk about that and jerry hagstrom with the hagstrom report will join us for the latest on the negotiations in the senate on the next coronavirus assistance package and what may be in there for agriculture so all that coming up on today's program but let's start things off with ethan lane vice president government affairs for the national cattlemen's beef association ethan good to talk with you again how you doing I'm doing well, Mike, and uh, we are glad to see a little bit of baseball being played uh, here in D.C., uh, uh, but yeah, it is going to be an odd season. Uh, not a good start, though, for the defending champions last night. Not a, not a great start. Not a great start, but uh, <laughs> hopefully they'll rebound as they always seem to. Yeah. One thing about the shortened season, it does put more importance on every game. Uh, one thing about baseball, it's usually a marathon, and you can you can have a bad month almost and still make it back. And I mean, the Nationals were an example of that last year, but a little more emphasis on each game now. I will say that I do kind of like that part of it. it we just get kind of the sprint at the end this year. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like Congress, actually. There's, there's similarities there. <laughs> We have put everything off to the very end, right? So, right. Well, right. Let, do let's do talk it. about yeah. Let's talk about this uh, the investigation into the cattle market and been a lot of anticipation and people waiting for it. And what came out kind of you know didn't answer everything, and it's still ongoing. And uh, uh, some recommendations have been made, but uh, no real conclusions i don't think yet for some people in some people's minds anyway usda basically saying we're going to keep looking and if we find anything we'll take action at that time what what's your response your reaction to uh what we've learned so far from this well look i I think first and foremost what they've put together here is is really helpful in that it it gives us uh, a lot of good 
solid data on on the dynamics that we saw during the Holcomb fire and the and the weeks that followed, uh, as well as COVID nineteen. Um, boy, the striking difference between what felt like a, a tremendous spread at the time during Holcomb just was dwarfed by what we've seen during COVID nineteen. You know, sixty seven dollar peak spread uh, during during the Holcomb fire. Uh, situation versus what 323 uh, uh, during COVID. I, I think just the economic part of it alone um, is is really important information given uh, all that we've we've been through over the last few months. Uh, you know, it does make some recommendations on on how to make some improvements to. Uh, uh, to the marketplace, it's it's been interesting to read in the context of our ongoing uh, discussions and our live cattle marketing committee because uh, some of the takeaways in this report are are some of the takeaways that that uh, various portions of our group are are coming around to as well. Um, so I, you know, it, 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 at least from that perspective, uh, I, I guess uh, makes us feel like everyone's kind of starting to, to uh, uh, zero in on some ideas and some concepts. Uh, for for how to create more price discovery in the market and 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 how to make sure that uh, we we have a, an environment where our producers are getting paid for what they produce um, and and not being uh, uh, not being shorted in in these kinds of situations. Um, but it, it it does leave some things open ended. Obviously, the the DOJ investigation is is still not complete. We know that is ongoing. Um, you know that this report indicates that they are still uh, continuing at PNS to look into this situation as well. Uh, they they made it clear in here that while they have not found anything yet, uh, they're not done looking. Um, so uh, you know it's, it it does read as kind of an update more than a more than a conclusion. Um, but you know given that we've all been waiting to see something, uh, I, I think it is productive that we have a document we can we can look through it. We can we we can see some 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 conclusions and some information and and particularly going into our. Uh, summer business meeting next week. That's going to be really helpful to inform our conversation amongst all of our affiliates. I kind of think, it, though, it doesn't change maybe a lot of minds. I, I think we live in an investigation culture right now. There's always investigations yeah. going on. Congress is always doing a lot of investigations. And it seems like on most of these things, people have their minds almost made up before the investigations ever start. And unless the results agree with what you think uh, thought going into it, then you tend to dismiss it as uh, you don't agree with it or you think it was rigged or set up or whatever. Uh, it's kind of the society in which we live now. It's hard to have just a, someone that you believe is a neutral, independent uh, analysis of a situation because everyone is everything's so polarized now. It is. I mean, look, going back to the baseball discussion from earlier, you know, trying to find somebody who we trust to call balls and strikes on, on any of these things. Um, it's an extension of our, our media environment. Everyone looks for media that confirms what they already believe to be true. Certainly they seek the same in their politicians. Um, and, and, you know, we don't get a pass from that in the cattle industry uh, either. That environment impacts every, every part of our lives. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think that's probably true in this case as well. And, and what we really need more than anything is, is some impartial folks calling balls and strikes so that we have good information to use uh, in, in working through these issues. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but, I mean, our, our, our discussion inside NCBA includes the entire spectrum of opinions on this thing. We have the proponents of 5014 and the, the biggest opponents of, of the, the mandated cash trade movement um, all at the table working through these issues together. So uh, it, it, really is, uh, uh, it really is important, maybe in this conversation more than any other we're having right now, that, that we all agree on the same set of facts going into it. All right, Ethan, thanks a lot. Enjoy the baseball. Thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon.
Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Yeah, I don't think this investigation probably changed too many minds. Uh, uh, as I said, I think a lot of people have their minds made up going into these things. And certainly, uh, on, on, whether it's cattle markets or whatever it is, no system is perfect, that's for sure. Now, how close to perfect a system comes is always going to be in the eye of the beholder and really no investigation will ever change that probably all right coming up next we're going to talk with a member of the united soybean board soybean farmer from iowa about a new project to get more research information out to soybean growers next on aoa information america's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Tom Oswald, the United Soybean Board's Supply Action Team Chair and a soybean farmer from Iowa. Tom, thanks for joining us. have to ask you, how do crops look in your part of Iowa? I figured that was going to be one of your first questions. Uh, okay, I'm in northwest Iowa. I'm about an hour from South Dakota, an hour from Minnesota. We are in part of that brown or tan area of the drought monitor. Haven't had an inch of rain over the last month. Last good soaking rain was June 10th. So we're uh, we're wanting rain. And uh, had one hit us. There was one about four miles north of me, I guess, yesterday morning. Someone said they had an inch up in that zone. So one of those frustrations here in the thunder, but don't see the rain. So it's... Mm -hmm. Uh, getting concerning, but our soils are good and hold a lot of water, but we're starting to see some decline in some of the, well, compacted or stressier zones. Any rain in your forecast? <laughs> Every rain we've had in the forecast hasn't done as much good <laughs> yeah. because there wasn't much to it. But um, I'm kind of thinking, you know, after about six weeks, we start to see a pattern shift, and hopefully that'll be more general. A lot of humidity, but they're talking mid-90s today, so those plants are going to be asking asking for help, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, let's um, talk about this new effort you have underway between the United Soybean Board and the North Central Soybean Research Program to uh, make soybean checkoff research findings um, more available, more easier to access for farmers. Tell us about it. Yeah, the Soybean Research and Information Network is a new website uh, that's uh, soybeanresearchinfo.com new in, uh, a new website very intuitive very accessible and written in a farmer language you know we spend a lot of money of a check off on production research it's really important that that research especially for the the research that the farmer needs to deploy for his own problems on his farm you know, it needs to be in a language that the farmers can capture without reading through a 30-page, you know, scientific white paper. That's the first thing about it. We realize that for farmers to, to utilize all this information, it needs to be in a language and, and deployable on the farm. So very proud of that. Secondly, very intuitive website, very easy to navigate, and a lot of good background stuff. You know, it, it's a classic case of a collaboration. The, the NCSRP is a multi-state regional a checkoff uh, a collaboration for research, USB obviously nationwide. And it's pretty clear that if farmers are going to be able to use the information to their benefit, it needs to be in a form that they want it. And that's what this does. I am sure you often get the question, well, what are we getting for our checkoff dollars? What What's being done? How am I getting any benefit from that? Well, you've got a lot 
to show for those dollars, those investments. There's a lot of things happening. This is a way to, for uh, farmers to be able to see. You know, you took the words right out of my mouth. I have some very good friends that will ask me, what are you doing with my money? I mean, and that's the responsibility of serving on these boards. I can tell you, the 78 farmers serving on the United Soybean Board, the other farmers serving on the state boards, the checkoff boards, all have top of mind. I'm spending my my own money as well as other farmers' money. And if you think about the USB and what we do, you know, we, we grow soybeans, we promote soybeans, we have information. It's all about the information because that's how you deploy progress. You know, we're not selling a, you know, a piece of metal. We have information. And this research website puts that information in a form that farmers can deploy. I'm just sitting here looking at uh, the issue of gall midge. It's a regional four-state area kind of problem. I've got it on my field a little, and it's a concern. You know, farmer wants to know about it, they can look it up. Farmer in South Carolina's got stink bugs. They can look it up. You know, it's not just one area, and that's what I think is the key, too. It's a very broad base of access to information. But, yeah, you know, it's all about this transparency as well. Um, we hear that all the time. What are you doing with my money? We're here to show it, and I think this website is an excellent example of that. You know, it's, it's quite a process you go through. You, you, you have to hear about or learn about and identify a problem. Uh, you have to do your research and see what's available out there as far as uh, things that can be done to address that problem. You, you, you take uh, different bids and, and look at different projects and decide which ones you're going to fund uh, and uh, support. I mean, it, it's quite a process that you go through, uh, and you have some good results. Now, now, not everything pays off. I mean, as far as you don't always get the results you hope for, but uh, you you make the best choices you can, and you've got a lot of successes that you can show. Well, you know, that's kind of funny is you, you, you brought that up in the sense that we have just come off what we call our value creation process where hundreds of, you know, of proposals hit the United Soybean Board as well as the states every year. You know, we farmers break out into committees. We sort through projects in our area of expertise. We work with our staff members who can give us some of that technical insight. We work through others to give us that insight of what does this project mean? What does it look like? How is it going to add value? And we sit down and, and we sort through them. Um, literally just finished part of that cut here in the last few days. Uh, my action team, I think there was 93 proposals in front of the 20-odd the farmers, I believe, uh, that were, were in that action team. And it's farmer eyes on these projects, whether that's for production research, whether that is for messaging the story of agriculture, the value of U.S. soy, whether it's building demand through new products, um, improving the products we have, you know, meal quality or stability or feeding trials, aquaculture. Farmers look at every project, and I think that's part of its work. And it can be quite tiring. We've mm -hmm. just come off it. Um, but I think that's a really important message. And, again, this research information network is about putting that farmer-facing information in a format that farmers can look at themselves, make their own decisions. And plus, there's some really good contact information there. You say, okay, I've read it, but I'd like to take it further. On this website, you've got access to links to get you to even deeper down if that's what you're looking for. 
We're talking with Tom Oswald, the United Soybean Board Supply Action Team Chair. Tom, I think you also do a great job of partnering with others. You leverage those checkoff dollars with by cooperative efforts with other groups uh, that allows you to get more for your dollars. Yes. So, talking about you know these projects we just come off, one of the things that we evaluate as farmers when we're looking at these projects is what's the collaborative, what's the leverage. You know, again, farmers think about that 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 bottom line that comes out of their check for the checkoff. You know, what are you getting me for my money? Leverage is a big factor. If you think about it, we leverage a number of direct, different directions. You know, whether that's with some research at the United States Department of Agriculture, maybe it's it's uh, private researchers, maybe it's someone who has a product or a process. You know, there's collaborative effort that builds leverage so that that checkoff dollar is not standing alone. And I think that's critically important. I'm certainly glad you brought that up. I'm guessing you get those questions about where are you spending my dollars even more when prices are low? You know what's funny? When prices are high, the dollar coming off the check is a bigger number. When prices are low, everyone wants to help me use that check off, get that price up. I always thought about my mom. What are you doing to raise my price? You know, and, and it's always top of mind. And again, that's what's so important as you think about how the check off works is that we are farmers working for farmers. And, uh, it's such a fascinating process, at least at the national level for me now, having come from the state. The diversity of issues on a single crop, soybean, but the diversity across a country like the United States is amazing. We're all farmers, and it's fun to be a farmer amongst other farmers from around the country, but we're working together, and it's all about the United Soybean Farmer, you know, or the United States Soybean Farmer, and that's our focus. And that's what we're doing. And quite honestly, every day, every meeting, that that's the top of mind. Of course, the other challenge is even with your successes, you don't always see an immediate return. I mean, you develop like a market or a new product. It takes time then for that to uh, get into the marketplace and build a demand and, and grow and, and, and make a difference. Well, think about it again. This whole collaborative notion, the whole notion of leverage, one dollar standing alone may not move it, but if you work with others, eventually that network, the conversation, the connections uh, start to build. And I call it the flywheel. We want that flywheel to turn. We want that flywheel to turn so that the end user looks at U.S. production soy, because that's who we work for. And these are the type of focuses we're, we're doing. And um, again, from the production side all the way to the demand side, U.S. farmers top of mind and the farmers looking at those dollars. All right, Tom. Thanks a lot. What's that website again to go to? Soybeanresearchinfo.com. Soybeaninforesearch.com. Thanks, Tom. Tom Oswald, United Soybean Board Supply Action Team Chair. All right. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Again, that website we were talking about in the last segment to get more information about soybean research, go to soybeanresearchinfo.com. One word, soybeaninforesearch, one word, dot com. All right, let's talk about the markets. Joining us now, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. 
And uh, Arlen, as we so often do, we'll start with China. They're buying, but yet the relationship between the U.S. and China seems to be deteriorating, making us wonder how, how you know, what the future purchases are going to look like. Are they going to? Is this a trend? They're going to buying more, or is this kind of a stocking up before it all dries up or or drops off considerably? What What are you thinking? Well, there's a lot of different factors here. Obviously, with China, it's you pay more attention to what they do than to what they say. And so, you know, it's hard to really count on anything. But these are kind of the dynamics that we see playing out. First of all, we anticipated that we would see a significant uptick in, in Chinese purchases in the last half of this year with a strong shipment season in the last half of this year. That is playing out. I say that because we were anticipating that because of the phase one trade deal and because we saw China's needs increasing in the last half of this year. They have been very much driven by doing what they need, what's in their best interest, and that this time it appears to be in their best interest to, as they perceive it, to front load their needs for soybeans. Uh, Their soybean meal needs are much stronger than anticipated not because their hog herd is back to normal, but it appears to be because of the strength of their poultry industry. Uh, and as they do rebuild their hog herd, they are including larger amounts of soy meal within the diet. But their hog herd is still down considerably. Um, and, and their corn supplies are getting tight, maybe much tighter, well, certainly much tighter, and we've been saying this for some time than what USDA has been saying, and than what Chinese official records have been saying. And so we're anticipating that their temporary reserve will be empty by the end of next month. And there's some chatter among some of the feed industry people that we work with there. Uh, They're fearing that uh, maybe that temporary reserve, the stocks that were believed to be there, have have disappeared and aren't even as big as what we thought. And we had some of the smaller numbers for that. So there seems to be a real panic right now about the availability of corn um, and and they've been making some purchases of wheat as well then you throw in the floods I get a lot of questions about the catastrophic flooding that's there that is not threatening the majority of their corn soybean or wheat production it is primarily a rice and uh, rapeseed meal uh, production area uh, that may be more of a factor for next year's crops but it still creates a tremendous economic and human toll on China that necessitates that it keeps trade open with the United States because it needs that help in its economy of two-way trade. It needs some of our commodities, and it needs our consumers buying its products. So both countries seem to be protecting trade right now while retaliating against each other in other areas outside of trade. That said, we have noticed increased nervousness among the Chinese um, that those trade relationships may get threatened, and so there may be some incentive to try to hurry up and buy what you can and get it shipped. So all those factors are really at play right now and resulting in strong demand for U.S. commodities. Well, a lot going on there for sure. All right, we're talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Arlen, uh, we... We've talked about the the improvement for the ethanol industry, but now we're starting to see fuel demand start to kind of slip back a little bit. 
with the spikes in the in the uh, coronavirus uh, positive tests, and maybe people not traveling quite as much as we thought that was going to kind of keep building during the summer, but now it seems to be kind of slowing down somewhat. That's not good news for the ethanol industry. What do you see happening there? Yeah, back in late April, we made our estimates. We brought our uh, ethanol demand for corn number down to 4.825 billion bushels for this year, and USDA was well above that. They kept coming down toward us. On about July 1st, we went up to 4.850, and USDA came down to that number, and we thought maybe we needed to go up a little bit higher because of the rapid pace of the recovery coming in a little faster than we thought. But that's when the spike in the coronavirus numbers started to slow things down once again. And as you hinted at, we've seen two weeks in a row now where gasoline consumption has ticked lower rather than continuing higher. And that's because largely restrictions being put back on in high driving states. And so that is a real concern for the ethanol industry. And so while I still feel like my 4.850 number is a little bit too low right now based on what we've done to this point, I'm not making any further adjustments up until we see if we can get gasoline consumption to turn higher again. And there's still a possibility we may have to lower it again as ethanol demand starts to slow uh, due to less gasoline being consumed. So much of what's happening is COVID-related and the hopes for a rebound this summer starting to fade a bit. And now questions about the fall and all kinds of questions there. it's just hard to see a return to normalcy anytime soon in the economy, which certainly impacts in uh, the markets. There really is. And as I said, since the 1st of February, coronavirus doesn't scare me. People's response to it does scare me. Um, coronavirus is the type of illness that creates fear in people. And uh, for those who get it with more ser- significant symptoms, It is not a fun disease to have by any means. But we also know there's a lot of people that get it that don't even know they have it as well. So, um, but those who do get it kind of have a scary experience. I mean, if they have the the more serious symptoms, particularly those who are higher risk, and it's a type that creates fear in people, tends to shut them down. When they shut down, they do less driving. They don't, um, they change their consumption patterns, et cetera. And that is affecting the economy and therefore consumption of gasoline, consumption of ethanol, uh, and other goods and services. So it is going to continue to be a problem. We're seeing the rapid spike in numbers. The good news is, as I go through the CDC data, I continue to see hospitalizations per thousand positive tests trend lower. We're getting better and better at treating this illness, knowing how to take care of it and we're having to hospitalize a far smaller percentage of those who get it. And the death rate per thousand positive tests continues to go lower as well. So that's the positive news, but yet that's not really making a lot of, not getting a lot of focus. And so the fear factor is still at play, changing consumer habits. And a lot of uh, politics at play too here uh, on both sides. Um, Let's, let's look at production. Uh, we got some areas that have been getting rain and crops are looking really good, but we got some areas under stress too. 
We really do. The western part of Iowa has been under some significant stress. Um, and then you look at the eastern Midwest, they've missed out on some rains. Uh, we've got some poor pockets there. Ohio's crop ratings, Michigan's crop ratings have really taken a hit. Uh, and then the far southwestern belt as well. Uh, the good news is now that it looks like we're facing a change in the weather pattern starting this next week that's going to really moderate the heat, um, maybe provide some more rain to some of those driest areas, especially in the southwestern Midwest, uh, Corn Belt as well as in western Iowa as we get into next week. And we're seeing some key changes in the atmosphere now that may give us a much different pattern for the month of August where it's much cooler in the middle of the country um, with, with uh, ample rainfall and warmer on both the east and west coast and uh, cooler in between. Overall net positive for the corn and soybean crops. So at this point, the trade is assuming that we're going to see a national trend yield or better for both corn and soybeans, although with soybeans, we've still got a lot of time. Uh, a lot could change there yet. So trade anticipating a big crop, and uh, we still got uh, plenty in the bin, plenty of stock. So what's that mean price-wise? Well, what that means is uh, they're trying to figure out where it's all going to go, and storage mm-hmm. is going to be a premium. Um, and so the current concern is finding places to put the crop, and then the next concern will be with the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, if that gets shut down, what that might do to rail service for grain and how that might impact basis as freight costs go up across the Midwest. There's a lot of unknowns around that. But for now, it's just trying to find storage. Storage is, looks like it's going to be at a premium this year across the Midwest. All right, Arlen, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Well, the uh, Senate is trying to finalize their next coronavirus relief package, and there are reports that the bill could include a $20 billion direct appropriation to USDA to go with the $14 billion in funding USDA has in its Commodity Credit Corporation account uh, of the $2 trillion CARES Act enacted in March. A lot of big numbers here. How does it all break down if they can get it passed in the Senate and if they can then work it out with the House and if they can get it by uh, the White House? All that has to be done. It's assumed something will be done, but how will it look and what will it mean for agriculture? We'll get the latest from Washington, D.C. Jerry Hagstrom will join us next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the Senate trying to put together a trillion-dollar coronavirus relief package. That shows you what's changed in the last few months as we look at these numbers. Now we're trying to hold a spending bill to a trillion 
dollars. It wasn't that long ago that would have seemed like a huge number. Now we're trying to hold it to a trillion. Some would like to see it even higher. Let's focus on what might be in there for agriculture. Could be around $20 billion for agriculture. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us. Jerry, I know you've been watching this closely. Uh, Where are we on this as far as how close are they in the Senate to getting a bill done? Well, I can't really say that they're close to getting a bill done because there are uh, disagreements between the Republicans in the Senate and the White House over some big issues in the bill. Uh, But for agriculture, there seems to be an agreement uh, for $20 billion in additional farm aid, uh, and that would be on top of the $14 billion that was uh, agreed to in an earlier package, uh, the CARES package, but that USDA was not allowed to spend until the, um, uh, until the 1st of July. So altogether you have $34 billion, uh, but I think you still have disagreements with the Repub- between the Republicans and the Democrats over how much Congress should tell them that they have to do versus giving USDA the discretion about what they do. Yeah, there's uh, certainly, I know, uh, House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson has some real concerns about that. Yes, yes. And I would imagine that um, uh, Senator Grassley is going to have some concerns because he wants aid to the ethanol plants and he wants wants, uh, money to go to the uh, uh, pork producers uh, who, and maybe others in animal agriculture who've had to uh, kill their animals because they couldn't find a place for them to be slaughtered. Um, so we don't, you know, Senator Hoven told me that the plan from the Republicans is to give USDA discretion. But then there will have to be negotiations with the Democrats. They're not in this process yet. And so that will be a part of it. The other issue will be whether there is an increase in the SNAP or food stamp benefits. The Democrats really want that, and Hoven says he wants to compromise on that, but he doesn't want the food stamp money to come out of the money that's allocated to help farmers and ranchers. So that's kind of where we stand today. Uh, there's also the, the, Now, the idea was to get this bill done by the end of next week because that's when the additional unemployment benefits run out. But it's unclear whether they're going to get that done now there's talk that the House will have to stay in session the first week of August, along with the Senate, which was already planning to be here. Senator Grassley will be on with us on Monday. We'll get his thoughts on where they're at at that time. Uh, of course, whatever they pass in the Senate, then they have to work something out with the House. And if this is going to be like a trillion-dollar package, and the House has already passed a $3 trillion package, obviously they have some big differences to work out. Well, Indeed. Uh, when uh, when the word was that uh, you know that the White House and the Demo- and the Republicans in the Senate uh, wanted to limit it to uh, uh, one trillion, uh, Pelosi said, "Oh, so one trillion's a starting point." So you know that's how these negotiations work. She's at three trillion; they're at one trillion. There'll be some compromise, uh, uh, I imagine. Um, the the big issue for the Republicans is that they want this liability provision so that people could not be sued uh, over anything related to uh, COVID. You know, like creating uh, un, uh, um, un inappropriate working conditions, et cetera. 
and I would imagine that the Democrats will eventually agree to that, uh, but only after they get more money. I mean, the bottom line is there's going to be something passed because neither side's going to want to look like they're not doing anything to help, and both sides are going to want to look like they're doing the most to help. So they're going to come up with something. Yes, and we're in the situation now where the number of unemployment uh, applications went up again and the number of people who have applied for SNAP or food stamp benefits is, is up in many, well, almost everywhere. Um, and so this is an indication of the pain in the society uh, and the problems that people are facing, and no one is going to want to go into an election season. And you can certainly see President Trump softening his positions on uh, you know, the masks and, and the Republican convention, etc. So the White House is getting the word that um, these hardline positions are not popular. Are they sticking, for the most part, to COVID-related issues? Uh, the last big package we saw, it kind of wander off into some other areas that was hard to make any kind of a direct connection to COVID. Are they kind of sticking to that this time? Well, I think they are sticking to uh, – you could say that they are sticking to it, but isn't almost everything related to COVID? <laughs> I mean, you can make some sort of, you can make some sort of connection uh, uh, that uh, almost everything in, in, almost in the world has been affected by COVID at this point. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about things like if, if you're trying to bail something out that was hurting already before COVID-19, it it always seems like a stretch to me to try to fund those things or pay for those things when they were already in trouble financially before the pandemic hit. Right. Well, and of course, in agriculture, one of the connections there would be uh, in ethanol, where they, how much is how much is the of the issue of their problems is with the small refinery waivers, and how much of it is with the re- decline in driving uh, due to COVID. Uh, those things are very hard to um, uh, parse to to separate. Well, we'll know more next week, it looks like. Uh, Jerry, thanks for the update, and we'll stay in touch. Okay, great. Good to talk to you. Have a uh, have a good weekend. You too. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. And as I said, we'll get another update from Senator Grassley on Monday, where they're at with the uh, package in the Senate and what he's uh, pushing for, certainly aid for pork producers and the ethanol industry, among other things. We'll get an update then. That's going to wrap it up for today and for the week. Thank you for being with us. Have a great and safe weekend, everyone. Hope you'll join us again on Monday right here on AOA. AOA.